Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Oh, this is this is great. I get to preach on the Thanksgiving service of Caleb, my son, um, and. In the next, I'd say, 20 minutes, I've timed it, I think 20 minutes, I might be quicker if I talk faster, um, I'm hoping to explain Genesis 41. It's the first book of the Bible, we're going through the, the life of Joseph, and Joseph of, of popular acclaim, if this school is at Coburn, they have theatre productions here, and very recently they had Joseph as a production, and so, you know, I'm, um, I'm building on perhaps what they've laid a, uh, a foundation of. Um, well, let me start a story. Northern boy who thought London was paved with gold meets southern girl who thought uh, the North started at Watford Gap Services. Unlikely match, not love at first sight. He was a know-it-all. She didn't like him at first. He wrote letters to her as he starts to like her, but got her second name wrong. <laughs> And then during the watching of a film, it was Cider House Rules. I don't know if anyone's seen that film. We held hands together for the first time. We spent the summer, our first summer at university, writing letters to each other, with me now knowing her second name. And then October the 4th, I make the best homemade dinner I had ever made. And I'd practiced it the night before, brushed up on my social etiquette with another friend from Halls, and... I win, I win her over. And at the end of the night, she kisses me. Score. Yes. <laughs> Why do I tell you this? Because it's a story, at least part of a story, that brought Emma, my wife, and I together. And it's a story that, that brings about now two children with very significant names. We've got Caitlin Grace, pure Caitlin, undeserved Love from God, that's grace. Pure, undeserved love from God. And she, that is who she is for Emma and I. And Caleb, whom we have named after a person in the Bible, who was, and it says of him that he served God wholeheartedly. And that's who we want Caleb to be. Today's story, though, doesn't have Emma and I as central characters, you'll be pleased to know. But the story of Joseph brings about two children with very significant names. And actually, it's a foreshadowing of the whole big story of the Bible, whose central character is a son, Jesus. So I'm going to start with two questions. Why are you here? And what does the life of Joseph mean for you today? So you might be here because you are a friend or a family of either me, the Crossleys, or the Scopeses, and you are so welcome here today. You might be here because you, you've been invited as a mum, because it's Mothering Sunday. And I hope in the next 20 minutes that you, as me going through this story, you hear God speak to you. That we're going to look at a story. In the story, there's a, a dream, or a pair of dreams, that God speaks to Pharaoh, a, a, a king of Egypt. He's not a Christian. God speaks to him. And God speaks today. And so, be listening to you as, I, as I share the story. Or well, you might be here because this is your church, and I'd say exactly the same thing to you. That expect to meet the God of the Bible as I speak about this story. Expect him to speak into your life. Second question, what does the life of Joseph mean today? Well, I think I'm going to look at 
I know I'm going to think, look at two words, forgiveness and fruitfulness. We're going to encounter four people in this story. I've got three questions, three more questions to ask you, and two main things that happen. So what's already happened? Genesis, the story of um, kind of the, the formation of the people of God, we get to this point where we've got Joseph. And Joseph, you can see on the screen, this is a little bit of an artistic view of his family tree. Joseph is one of 12 sons of a man called Jacob. You, you see him just slightly beneath him. And Jacob, he, um, his father's Isaac, his father is Abraham. And we've got this guy, Joseph. Joseph, technical, the dream coat. I don't know if you've seen it. I had thinking of you with Pharaoh coming that I might burst into song. I won't tell you if you're going to do that or not. You have to wait and see. God spoke to Joseph as a 17-year-old boy through a pair of dreams. As a result, because his brothers considered it very arrogant, they'd rejected the dreams, they became full of rage, and they, they wanted to kill him, but his older brother Reuben, they said, well, well let's just sell, sell him into slavery. And so he ends up in Egypt, um, in the house uh, as a slave of Potiphar, who was one of Pharaoh's officials. And Potiphar, uh, he saw Joseph do well, and he promoted him to be in charge of his household. And um, Pharaoh, uh, Potiphar's wife, she um, accused him of rape, and it wasn't true, but he got thrown in jail. So Joseph, his life isn't great. He's in a foreign land. He's in jail. Uh, his family have rejected him. His reputation has been destroyed. And in prison, he, we learned this last week, that he gets to interpret another pair of dreams. One to a chief wine taster of all of Egypt. That's a pretty good job. <laughs> so he's interpreted this wine guy's dream and... He says, remember me, remember me when you see Pharaoh. But he gets forgotten about. 13 years in prison in total, he gets a chance now to interpret one of Pharaoh's dreams. A pair of them. And it's at this point we pick up the story. So Joseph explains Pharaoh's dreams to him. You might be in your mind picturing an Elvis Presley Pharaoh from the Technicolor Dreamcoat story. Now, Pharaoh is a powerful man. He is powerful. And we're going to, I'm going to read it on the screen. If, you, if you've got a Bible, you might want to jump to Genesis 41. I'm going to start at verse 1. Um, it will be on the screen. I'll read it from there. So when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and Gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again. Another second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain were swallowed up, uh, the seven full, healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up, and it had been a dream. Pharaoh, at this point, asked all his wise guys in all of Egypt, his, his magicians, his, his clever guys, that, and could any of them help? No, no one could interpret these dreams for him. And so you've got Pharaoh and these dreams of ears of corn and of cows. And Joseph gets a chance. Because, because actually the wine guy remembers him and he, he, Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh summons for Joseph. He has his wash and a shave and uh, gets some decent clothes on, having been in, in prison for such a long time. 
And Joseph explains with humility this. He says, I cannot do it when Pharaoh asks him, can you interpret these dreams? I cannot do it. Just like all the magicians, I cannot do it. But God will give the answer, give Pharaoh the answer he desires. By that he means, I'm not going to give you the favorable outcome perhaps you're after, but you want an answer to these dreams, God will give it. God will give it. And so he interprets these dreams. So we continue reading the story. We've jumped to verse 28 and it will come up on the screen. It's, it is just as I said, said Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is this matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. So famine is coming, but the seven years to get ready, seven years of abundance, but the abundance will be forgotten about because how severe the famine will be. God reveals this to Joseph, not one of the magicians could figure it out. And there's a point here, just before Joseph reveals his dream, where he's been abused for 13 years. No justice, just left. He helps out the wine guy, but the wine guy forgets about him. And he must be thinking, my life is absolutely rubbish. But Pharaoh expects me to help him when he's given me nothing? Stuff him. I'm not telling him. That's what He could have said that. He could have gone, stuff you. You can starve along with all your people. I know what's coming. It's going to be bad. It's going to be horrific. And I, am, I imagine a Joseph who could have said that. He's in prison. His life, like, he must, he must be resigned after 13 years in prison. Best years of his life have gone. But Joseph's past does not define him. He is a willing servant without resentment. And I wonder for you, how's your heart towards those who have wronged you? Are you like Joseph, who humbly serves even though he was wrong? Jesus, in his um, Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And that's what Joseph was like, pure in heart. And he saw God and the purposes of God. And my first question for you this morning, for you to take away, is are you defined by your past? Or are you defined by a greater purpose? Are you defined by your past? Or are you defined by a greater purpose? When, you see, when we allow our hurts, our bitterness, our rejection, abuse, loss, trauma, these things are so hard to us. When we allow them to define us, it, we struggle to move on. We, we end up hurting more people because of the, the anger and the, the hurt inside of us. Let me give you a, a recent example of, of a positive uh, story where clearly the hurt that happened to this woman, it, it almost would have made sense for her to have anger and malice in her heart. It, just before Christmas, I don't know if anyone saw it in the news, 5th of December in Benghazi, Libya, guy he's going he's out for a jog and he gets shot by unknown assailants and his wife 
There he is, Ronnie Smith. His wife writes a letter to the Libyan people, an open letter. It's the reason I've got it. She didn't write it to me. She wrote it to Libya. And I've, I'm going to read a section of this letter. My husband and best friend, Ronnie Smith, loved the Libyan people. For more than a year, Ronnie served as a chemistry teacher in a school in Benghazi. And he would have given gladly more years to Libya if unmen, unknown gunmen had not cut his life short. Ronnie and I came to Libya because we saw suffering of the Libyan people, but we saw your hope, and we wanted to partner with you to build a better future. Libya was very different from what we had experienced before, but we were excited to learn about Libyan culture. Ronnie grew to love you and your way of life, as I did. Friends and family from home were concerned about our safety, as were some of you. We talked more times than I can count, but we stayed because we believed the Libyan people were worth the risk. Ronnie loved you so much, especially as students. He loved to joke with you and tell stories about you, help you with your lives, and challenge you to become all that you could be. He did his best to live out his faith humbly and respectfully within a community of people with a different faith. To his attackers, she writes, I forgive you and I love you. How could I not? For Jesus taught us love our enemies, not to kill them or seek revenge. Jesus sacrificed his life out of love for the very people who killed him, as well as for us today. His death and resurrection opened the door for us to walk on the straight path to God in peace and forgiveness because of what Jesus did. Ronnie's with Jesus in paradise now. Jesus did not come only to take us to paradise when we die, but also to bring peace and healing on this earth. Ronnie loved you because God loves you. Ronnie loved you because God loved him. To the Libyan people, she says, I always expected that God would give us a heart to love you, but I never experienced, I expected to experience such a love for you. We came to bless you, but you blessed us more. Thank you. I hear people speaking with hate, anger and blame over Ronnie's death, but that's not what Ronnie would want. Ronnie would want his death to be an opportunity for us to show one another love and forgiveness because that's what God has shown. That When I read that story as I was preparing for this sermon, I couldn't not read it. She, her words are so powerful, her experience so moving, and it's, she chooses not hatred but love and forgiveness. And as she writes it, you can see the compassion in her words for the people who killed her husband. Can you see, Anita, her life isn't defined by her past, but she's living for a greater purpose. A greater purpose because she's loved by God and she is living for him. He is her greater purpose. And for Joseph in this story, God is his greater purpose. And in particular, we know that because of Two things that God says to his ancestors. So see that family tree? Joseph's father, Jacob, he's given a promise by God that his descendants um, would be as, as numerous as the dust of the earth. It's a, it's a repetition of what he says to Abraham. He, says, he goes on to say to Jacob that you, I am always with you. He says that to Joseph's dad for all his descendants. So Joseph knows it's for himself too. That in those 13 years in prison, where malice and retribution and revenge and hatred could have been boiling in his heart, he knows God is with him and there's a promise over his family. And also Abraham. Abraham, who 
God spoke to and said, you are blessed to be a blessing. It's the call that as as the people of God, we are blessed to be a blessing. We take that call. We are not literally from the line of Abraham, but as a church that we receive that call because God spoke it to his people. And it's a promise that Joseph receives as well, that he knows he is blessed to be a blessing. And so his purpose, knowing God and having, following the plans and promises God gives him, that's his purpose. That means that he's not defined by his past. Because he's known by God, he can forgive. And because he's, he, he forgives, he can move out into this uh, wonderful way in which he interprets Pharaoh's dream. He's got a pure heart. And his heart is to help Pharaoh and Egypt, the foreign land where he finds himself. It brings us on to two children. Later on in the chapter, verse 51 and 52, Joseph names his children. This is a second main event that happens. He names them Manasseh and Ephraim. And it's pretty, I, I'm, this, uh, this passage was given to me in the preaching rota, and um, it wasn't planned that Charles Thanksgivings would happen on the same day, so I thought it very apt that these two children are named. And... Um, Names are really significant, aren't they? Does anyone know what your own name means? Anyone know? Can you tell me? Strong and manly. Andy, <laughs> Andrew means strong and manly. <laughs> anyone else? Jess? God is looking. Yeah? Anthony means priceless. Kimberly? Trustworthy and honest. Um, Bethany? House of Figs. Neil? Champion. Champion. Toyin? God is worthy of praise. We have meaningful names. And it was even more so in the Bible. In the, the Hebrew culture, to name your child was really significant. It said something um, about them or your hope for them. And I've brought two children with me today. I've got Hold on. I've got Manasseh in his uh, <laughs> Christmas onesie. <laughs> and I've also got Ephraim. Now, we know they're brothers. Manasseh, they're, if, you, if you're at the back, they're actually just dolls. They're not, they're not actual <laughs> children who've been in a crib at the front. But we've got Manasseh and Ephraim. And these two children were the sons of Joseph. And... Both these boys, despite being born in Egypt, were given Hebrew names. Joseph, he was a slave. And as a slave, he just earlier in the chapter, he actually receives an, um, an Egyptian name from Pharaoh. Pharaoh renames him as a slave. But because Joseph had his own children, he, it was his choice what he, he called them. And so he calls them Manasseh and Ephraim. So, I mean, the... the the children, we're not sure how old the distance between the two children are. The Bible doesn't tell us that. We just know that they're born in the period of time of famine. So they could be seven and two, but I've got two small babies right here. So there's not an, it's not, this is probably not accurate, um, what we have here. But Manasseh means to forget. And in verse 51, um, it says, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And for Ephraim, means fruitful. Verse 52 goes on to say, it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. I'm going to put these down now. 
And for both these names, let me explain that the meaning for Joseph. So for Manasseh, it's a picture of God's grace that despite all the hardship, tough things going on in his past, God has helped him forget that it hasn't got a hold on him. It isn't, it isn't kind of twisting his heart. It's a picture of God's grace to Joseph. And it's a picture of God's grace to his brothers. The 11 of the brothers, as part of the, the family of um, Jacob, all these brothers who kind of, essentially, to give the, this child a Hebrew name is to identify with a band of murderous brothers. That's all who Israel were at that point, this nation. There was only there was Jacob and the 12 brothers. And I think that is an amazing picture of grace to the family of God that Joseph is part of. And secondly, Ephraim, meaning fruitful. And fruitfulness is good produce in our lives. Okay, that's a simple way of explaining it. Good produce in our lives. And, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, despite the land of Egypt where I am, God has brought me good produce. He's helped me, um, despite the, the circumstances, bring fruit. And he, and he actually doesn't quite recognize the significance of the good produce that will come. I'll return to that shortly. When we think about can we forgive? Or am, uh, am I being fruitful in my life when circumstances are hard? We need to learn from Joseph in his statement to Pharaoh. Verse 16, it was on the slide earlier. He says, I can't do it, this interpretation of the dream. I can't do it, but God will. And so if you're, you're traveling through tough circumstances right now, and you are struggling, be like Joseph. I can't do it, but God will. Call on him. Ask him for help. Cry out to him like many people throughout the scriptures do. And this morning, I've already asked you one question. I'm going to ask you two more right now. Do you need a Manasseh, someone who will help you forget your past? Like Anita Smith, to his attackers, I love you and I forgive you. God has helped her forget the past. As a follower of Jesus, I am able to forgive because God has forgiven me. I can't do it, but God will. And second, uh, third question this morning, do you need an Ephraim? Someone to make you fruitful despite your circumstances and the place you find yourself in. Joseph knew what God spoke to Abraham, his great-grandfather. He and his descendants were blessed to be a blessing to the whole earth. Joseph knew he was, he was blessed and loved by God. And he has a chance to be a blessing and to be fruitful, to make good produce in his life. And it happens through the power of God. We also get a chance to be fruitful and be a blessing. And just as I, just to finish, as one final person I want to introduce you to this morning. I need the help of the family tree from earlier. Um, you see, we've got God the Father. And you know, He is the source of it all. He starts it all. And, um, in the naming of Ephraim, God has acknowledged that He makes Joseph fruitful. And, Part of his fruitfulness is the connectedness to the family of God. And because God uses him to bring rescue to his murderous brothers later in the story. I'm not going to surprise, uh, uh, steal surprise from the next couple of weeks, but that, too much. But there is a line that continues that as Joseph is 
interprets a dream, famine will not get rid of the Egyptians. Ultimately, that's what happens, we see. Famine doesn't destroy Egyptians because God gives Joseph the interpretation of the dream. And Joseph actually is appointed prime minister to make sure all the provisions are made for that seven years of abundance. That he is divinely in the plan of God. And had it not been for Joseph and his involvement, his brother Judah and all the other brothers, they would have died from starvation in the desert. They would have died out there. Yet, Joseph is used by God. God makes plans. And through this line of Judah, his brother, comes King David. And following on from King David, years and years later, becomes a guy called Joseph, a carpenter who lived in Nazareth. And he was the father of Jesus. That he was... his job was to parent this child conceived by the Holy Spirit in his wife-to-be, Mary. That's the Christmas story. It gives about birth to Jesus. If you need, this morning, to, to know how to cope in hard circumstances, circumstances, if you need, this morning, to know how to forget, forgive someone, how to forget the past of people harming you, there is a Manasseh, there is an Ephraim, whose name is Jesus. And he's the son who changes history. And for us, Jesus forgets our sin. Hannah explained that as we start the service. It means that our sin can be remembered no more. And because of Jesus, we are fruitful here, despite our challenging circumstances. Why the, why the, um, why the vines on that family tree? It's not a, a usual family tree, is it? You normally see it with lions down like that. Why, why the vines? Why the, the leaves? Well, Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in him that bears no fruit, whilst every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. God is the gardener right at the top. He planted the whole thing, and he's overseeing it all in amazing providence. Jesus, he's the vine. He's the one to whom we need to be connected that's how we get connected to God, the purpose in life. And we get to be the branches. We get to receive the blessing of God so that we can share it with others. And Jesus talks about it in this. He goes on to say, abide with me. You know, that's great hymn that's sung at sports grounds. Abide with me. Remain in him. Be connected to him closely, intimately, personally. As we close, let me invite you to come to Jesus and ask these three questions. Are you defined by your past or are you defined by a greater purpose, the purpose of God? Do you need a Manasseh to help you forget your past? Receive forgiveness. Do you need an Ephraim to be, help you be fruitful in difficulty? Come to Jesus this morning. Ask him for help. If you don't know him, let me tell you, he wants to know you. He loves to know you. God wants to know you so much that he'd send his son to earth. Ask Jesus to help you forgive. Ask Jesus that you would be forgiven and be fruitful. Through knowing Jesus, he makes us able. Mm-hmm.